welcome to the latest episode of the HE Live podcast series. My name is Paul Hicken, Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to be joined by Susie Ferguson, Lead Consultant at Wood, who has been selected for the Hydrogen Economist Women in Hydrogen 50 list for 2023 in the Policy and Regulation category. Wood are supporting sponsors of the Women in Hydrogen 50 networking reception that is taking place in London on June the 14th. Hi Susie. Could you tell me a little bit about what Wood is doing to support companies interested in hydrogen? Hi, Paul. Well, thank you, first of all, for this opportunity. Where to even start is a difficult question because Wood is doing a huge range of things in hydrogen. So as an intro to the company, Wood is a global leader in consulting and engineering, helping our clients to unlock solutions that are critical to the energy transition. So we provide solutions across consulting, project delivery and operations. And we operate in 60 different countries and have around 35,000 people. So that means that we're involved in a huge range of potential for hydrogen. So some of the projects that we're doing in hydrogen across the globe can be anything as diverse as helping to develop decarbonisation roadmaps where we compare hydrogen with other decarbonisation technologies or doing a conceptual design, looking at how to transport hydrogen on long distance using different vectors, like should we transport it as LNG, liquid hydrogen, liquid organic oxygen, uh, hydrogen carriers, or ammonia, if we wanted to move hydrogen from, say, northwest Australia to be used in Japan. Or we might be doing the engineering in detail of hydrogen pipelines. Wood's also playing a vital role in the UK's development of hydrogen infrastructure, where we're using our global hydrogen pipeline expertise to be trusted advisors to deliver some really big projects. And hopefully we can talk about that in a bit. But we also have our own hydrogen technology, which we've been delivering hydrogen projects, hydrogen units for six decades. So this was originally for providing hydrogen for uses in chemical and refining industry, as well as in the energy industry. And we've now modified that hydrogen technology to deliver low carbon hydrogen. And we can do that to use carbon capture and storage, so to produce blue hydrogen. Or we can modify the scheme slightly more to use a biogenic feedstock to generate hydrogen. And then you can put carbon capture and storage on that biohydrogen to make net carbon negative hydrogen. So we're pretty excited about those technology offerings as well. Wow, you really have a footprint and history of in hydrogen. It's really impressive. Can you tell us which sectors are seeing the most potential for hydrogen as a route for decarbonisation? So that's a really good question because you'll see hydrogen used as a buzzword in all sorts of places. There are lots of people who are very sceptical about whether we should use it or not. And they ask some really important questions like you have done as well. So there's a huge range of sectors in our society that need decarbonisation. And it is so much more than just about how we make and use electricity, although that's, of course, a really important area of our society that we need to decarbonise. And we can use electrification as a decarbonisation technology once we've decarbonised our electricity. But hydrogen can also be used for lots of other things, particularly where you need a flame or you need very high temperature heat, or where you already have assets that you need to decarbonize in an unobtrusive way. So in those situations, hydrogen offers a really brilliant decarbonization opportunity for energy intensive industries like chemicals, glass manufacture, 
manufacture of steel and other metals, anything that needs a furnace, basically, or if you had a really extensive fuel gas distribution system that's already in place, many of these are already suitable for swapping out something like methane and using hydrogen, although it is not trivial to make sure that that system will be safe in that operation. So, for example, we did a fantastically interesting project from my point of view about two or three years ago with SGN, Scotia Gas Networks. They are the gas networks operator for Scotland and also Southern England. And they came to us and said, we want to be able to repurpose our assets so that we have a sustainable business that survives net zero 2045, which is the deadline for net zero in Scotland. And they wanted to set themselves challenges like, what if we as a company wanted to deliver the entirety of the Scottish government target of decarbonizing a million homes just by ourselves? What would the engineering solution look like for that? And it was really fascinating because we needed to look at all of the different industries in 80% of Scotland, all of the different other places that also emit carbon, like hospitals, universities, every single person that's on the gas grid, all of the businesses that are on the gas grid. And how would they decarbonize? Would they go for electrification? Would they go for carbon capture and storage? Or would they be best decarbonized by using hydrogen? And we used this to develop an entire roadmap of who's going to use hydrogen where and for what. And I'm delighted to say that that project is still continuing to evolve. And we're now doing pre-feeds, which is the preliminary engineering for a number of different pure hydrogen pipelines that will enable SGN to bring pure hydrogen safely into their local gas distribution systems. And that means that the gas that goes to people's homes or to industries that use grid gas will see very little disruption to their gas supply as long as they have done the preparation. So they've got hydrogen-ready boiler in your home, for example. It would take maybe a day, at most a week, for when hydrogen comes to your house, you might be without hot water for a minimum period of time, and then you're running on hydrogen and you wouldn't even know the difference. So this is a key application for people who are on the grid already and they don't have space in their home. Maybe they're in a flat, maybe they don't have room or they don't want to have a whole new central heating system that could support the alternative technologies, which will have their own place, of course, but they don't want the disruption of having to have a heat pump instead, which is essentially just a really high efficiency electrical heating system but they can use the systems that they already have and switch over to hydrogen, barely without noticing. There are other projects that we could also mention which show how you'd use hydrogen more specifically in industry. So another project that we did slightly longer ago, maybe three years ago, four years ago that we started it, was called the Humber Zero Project, which is, of course, still progressing, which is fantastic to see. Now, this project had a smaller focus, of course, than 80% of Scotland. But it was still wide enough to cover the assets of several different companies. So here we've got two refineries, their combined heat and power plant, and a number of other operators in the local area who are literally only separated by a road. So very, very close together, really concentrated use of energy for industrial purposes. 
So we developed with them a concept that uses the optimal range of decarbonisation technologies to take that industrial cluster that currently emits around 6 million tonnes per annum of CO2 on a path to net zero. It requires some elements of carbon capture if there are carbon emissions that arise from the chemistry of a process, but it also used and needed multiple different forms of hydrogen. So there was a green hydrogen demonstration using electrolyzers that were powered by offshore wind, and also blue hydrogen, where there would be a demonstration of a novel blue hydrogen technology, but also critically demonstration of that hydrogen's use for significant industrial decarbonization. So part of that was as a fuel for providing the heat and power that then goes to the refineries and onto the grid, as well as providing hydrogen that could be used to decarbonize the refineries' fuel gas systems. So there are some places where carbon capture is great, but there are other places where it's just not feasible and hydrogen can provide a really excellent solution, particularly where you might have many fired heaters or users of that hydrogen in a really congested space. And then using hydrogen to replace the existing fuel gas systems is a really less intrusive way of decarbonizing the assets. Okay. I mean, it seems like you work on vast projects, bringing experts from all over the place, from different fields, from CCUS and hydrogen and other areas, bringing all those people together, you know, coming up with real broad solutions. I can't even get my head around it. But I wanted to ask how important it is to have a variety of backgrounds of people working on these projects in that regard. It's a very well demonstrated fact that diverse teams come up with the best ideas and then deliver the best implementation of those ideas. So it's crucial to make sure that we have all of the best minds on the job. It's also crucial to make sure that our recruiting pool for those best minds includes all of the people who are in our workforce and not just half of them. So it's not just the right thing to do from an ethical point of view, which it absolutely is to make sure everybody has an equal opportunity to do well in life. But it's also the science is firmly on our side. So it's really a no brainer to make sure that we've got all the brilliant people in the room, no matter what their background is. So one thing that I have noticed is that in the energy transition sector, of which hydrogen is clearly a crucial part, we do have some really excellent representation in our team. But what can be a bit more challenging, I think, is that we still are seeing a lack of women in the team leadership roles or the thought leadership roles within companies. So one example of that is in my everyday work, I regularly have to go and attend site visits, project kickoff meetings or workshops where there might be a small number of people in the room who are working together to come up with the concepts and the design basis of a project. Say, what is the solution that we're looking for? What is the challenge that we're trying to overcome? What are the parameters that we're going to assume or use to assess the outcome of the project? Where are we going? What are its goals? And the people who are in those meetings are overwhelmingly male. Not every company, I'm very glad to say, but I am frequently the only female engineer in the room in those meetings. But then when I get back to my team, we might be 50-50 or sometimes we have a fully female team working on some of these jobs, which is showing that we've actually got really good representation 
in the energy transition teams within wood where we have probably a concentration i would say of women in engineering in the energy transition teams but i have to caveat that with saying i don't actually have any numbers to back that up but that's my anecdotal experience yeah it's always interesting to see in benchmarking how for example the energy transition or the hydrogen sector is doing against other sectors generally across a country or society as a whole always super interesting and on that note do you think the hydrogen sector is on the right track when it comes to promoting equality within its workforce? Well, I certainly do know quite a lot of great women in engineering in hydrogen. I'd like to give a shout out to my colleague in Houston, Katie Zimmerman, who was on the Hydrogen 50 last year, and my colleague Valentina De Petri, who will be with us at the reception this year, as well as colleagues in other companies who will also be there, and it'll be great to catch up with them. But your event is, I think, the only one that I'm aware of in this industry or other industries. And I'd just like to say how great it is as an event for promoting women specifically in the sector, because it forces every company to go away and say, who would I put forward? Who are the women? And actually look, because often we kind of, as a society, I think, assume that we're all terribly progressive. And of course, everybody gives everybody in their team an equal opportunity to apply for promotions or speaking opportunities. But actually, when an event comes up, which specifically looks to highlight women, it forces them to question whether they really do, or whether they have an unconscious bias or higher in their own likeness, which is something that really does require specific awareness training to enable people to make sure that they don't have an unconscious bias. So we do, we know that from events like this, and then when there are conferences and speaking events, which will request to have a diverse panel, for example, then Wood is more likely to get more speakers on the panel if they're able to put diverse speakers on the panel. So we do know that works. And it's really, really useful. And it is a great way of making sure that women have visibility because it makes the company look great for having brilliant women. And it makes sure that they they get a chance to have that experience of speaking at conferences. It's not to say that we don't have lots of other brilliant experts as well, but it's just really helpful in combating that unconscious bias that people might have. Thank you, Susie. And hopefully at some point in the future, events like Women Hydrogen may not be needed, but I think we're nowhere near being there right at this moment. So And I look forward to meeting you at the event itself. Thanks for coming on and sharing your views today. Thank you very much. And I will look forward to meeting you too. Thank you for listening to this latest HE Live podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes coming soon. The nominations for Women in Hydrogen 50 for 2024 will open in the autumn. So stay tuned.